Andrew, our little sports media business, it's now hundreds of millions of dollars reported about Tom Brady, Phil Mickelson with the Live Golf Tour. The money keeps going up, up, and up. Yeah, Orla White goes from NBC to Live, huge raise. It's all about one thing, of course, John. And we're back. The Martian and Oran Sports Media Podcast presented by USA Track and Field. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And today, John, a lot to talk about. Our big get coming up later is CJ McCollum, the outstanding guard from the New Orleans Pelicans, who's now a part of ESPN, doing their studio stuff, going to develop a podcast with them. Very interesting interview that we have for you in a little bit. All right, but let's get started like we always get started. Who's up? Who's down? Who's up? Who's down? This has been a power chair politics movement in the NFL. Big names like Tom Brady and Troy Aikman. But I'm telling you, under the radar, I think Amazon might have found something in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Deal is about to get done, I believe. Uh, Fitzpatrick will be part of that pre-game and post-game uh, show on Thursday night football. Amazon has the exclusive rights to Thursday night football uh, beginning this fall. And I think Fitzpatrick could be really good, not only because what we've seen, but I've talked to a lot of people who uh, have meetings with quarterbacks you know, each week, producers, broadcasters, and Fitzpatrick shines in those. Like We know he's smart. He's going to obviously have the street cred in terms of intelligence because he graduated from Harvard. Uh, but what, for me, it's the social IQ. I just have noticed over the years he's been on, he was on 10 teams, I think in 17 years, but always liked by his teammates. And I think when you talk about an ensemble and you're part of a group and you want to make it fun, that likability factor uh, does shine through. And I just think Fitzpatrick, he made a lot of money, about $80 million as a player. So how much does he want to do this and for how long and how big a role uh, has a bunch of kids as well. So uh, he won't have to work weekends with Amazon. I think he could be someone who could shine. And so all of this movement uh, we've had this year uh, in this offseason, this crazy NFL TV free agency, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick could be an, a little bit under the radar that could be a big move by Amazon. Power chair politics. I like that phrase, Andrew. That's good. My who's up? I'm going to go into the executive ranks again. Amy Rosenfeld. She's a producer who was with ESPN and is leaving ESPN to go to NBC, where she's going to oversee Olympic production and report right into Molly Solomon. She's coming in having missed the Olympics in China and in, in Japan. She's going to, uh, first two Olympics are going to be in Paris. And, uh, and, and in L.A., 2024, 2028, the Summer Olympics. Usually, Andrew, when somebody leaves ESPN, you hear some sniping about the person from uh, uh, coming out of Bristol. You heard none of that about Amy. She's very well liked. She's very well regarded. Right now, Stephanie Drury has a, a, an interim plan up where there are four people that are stepping in to take over Amy's responsibilities. It's, it went a little bit under the radar, but that's going to be a big loss for ESPN. John, when I left ESPN, did they snipe about me? Oh, they, they still snipe about you. I hear it all the time. <laughs> now, 
Uh, I, I, maybe I it's like that. I don't think, but maybe now they do. I had a phone call just last week where somebody who shall go nameless said, "Hey, you know, you are still responsible for what Marchand says on on your podcast, right?" I'm like, "No, I'm not. Come on, you're responsible." All, all you're getting me in trouble. Go, <laughs> all complaints go to John Oren. Let's get another one. <laughs> who's down for you? All right, who's down? Uh, I got to give it to Mark Jones. I, it is hard to replace a Hall of Famer in Mike Breen, and and. Uh, Boy, did the NBA Finals miss his big game voice. They missed his bangs that went out there. But, you know, Mark Jones, uh, in game one, Boston had this fourth quarter that was historic. It was an amazing comeback where they uh, the blew a game wide open. He had this call in the middle of it. The Celtics have stormed ahead. This insurrection has them leading by 11. Andrew, I'm like... It stopped me. I was watching. I heard. I heard, heard him call this comeback an insurrection. That is a very loaded term nowadays. And I, 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 it, it stopped me as a viewer. I was like, "Did I just hear that correctly?" It was. It was just kind of like a a bizarre call in the middle of a, a, an historic run. Um, I, he didn't seem up up for it necessarily. I felt bad for him because Jeff Van Gundy also uh, was gone too. And the, 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 those Green Van Gundy and Mark Jackson have such a uh, good chemistry going there. Uh, but I, I have uh, Mark Jones as, as my who's down following his uh, first two games of the NBA Finals. All right. I'm going to go who's down. Let's stick with the NBA. Mike Bass. Mike NBA, Bass. Yes. NBA PR head honcho. Look, the NBA goes nuts about these ratings uh, that the you know first two games around 12 million, uh, which I guess isn't, you know, it's not a great number. You know, you have to go back to like 2000, maybe seven, uh, you know, so way pre-pandemic uh, to get that low. But th- I think the NBA, they need to chill. Like they're pretty aggressive behind the scenes about these ratings and how we should look at them and whatever. They are what they are. But here's the thing, and this is why they should relax a little bit. The NBA is going to do just fine. All The ratings for the NBA for the leagues is all about the next TV deal. And I can't imagine that they're not going to ha- have a killing. All right, that's number one between... ESPN and uh, Warner Brothers Discovery uh, wanting it to return between Apple and Amazon possibly getting involved. I can see Fox, I can see CBS, maybe NBC. I can see all these places all want a piece of the NBA. So they're going to do great. And I also think this series could go six, seven games. And if it does, I think the ratings will be there. So they got to chill a little bit. Bass, just chill out a little bit, relax, and just, and just, don't you don't they don't have to be so aggressive and trying to like make people think something that's not true because then when it is true it's harder to be like well now i now i believe it because you know we've all these excuses before now whatever it is and the ratings they're fine they're not great they haven't been great but i also think basketball baseball hockey to a degree they make a mistake of comparing themselves to the you know because the super bowl because the nfl does so well on a weekly basis if I were all these leagues, I would say this is how many people watch in terms of minutes overall for the season of our sport compared to football. And then people would be like, well, you play 82 games. Football plays 17. Exactly. It's supply and demand. Football has a great TV sport. They're the most dominant sport. No doubt about it. The Super Bowl is appointment viewing. The one mistake I do think these leagues, the NBA uh, makes, and I think the uh, and baseball make, is not planting enough seeds. The NFL plants a seed with 100 million people every year, especially young people. That kind of keeps that growing. And basketball, these games start so late on the East Coast, it's hard to 
there's kids who never watch the end of a game basically. And then you want them to be viewers when their teams aren't involved. It's kind of, uh, I don't think that works. Quick question. When you say plant the seeds, what do you mean by that? What I mean is that you watch, as a kid, you watch the Super Bowl every year. It starts a little after six o'clock. So it's just part of like who you are. Um, and you have all these memories of the Super Bowl as a kid. And I think basketball and baseball, because there's no, there's not even one game that starts uh, at a really reasonable hour. There's no uh, like the final four. Uh, the first game of the final four is around 530. I mean, I think if you're if on the NBA, Yes, you take a little bit of a hit in terms of ratings, but I would want young kids to watch the whole game live so you kind of build that uh, repetition. I think uh, these leagues that have so much tonnage in the regular season and have a series instead of one game as their championship, uh, they're not planting those seeds. And I and I do think, uh, you know, we're kind of seeing that now. You know, now we're decades into that kind of philosophy in terms of the game times. Uh, and and I, I don't think they do a good job of that in terms of the games. And also, I just think the sport is very um, easy to digest on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter with highlights that before, which I've talked about before, you would have missed because you had to watch the game live. And now it's just two seconds later on your phone, you can see the great play by Steph Curry or whomever. Um, and so uh, it's not as imperative to be in front of your TV for the whole two and a half hours. Yeah, I don't know if I, I hear the complaint about uh, start times all the time, nine o'clock start times for the NBA finals. Uh, they had nine o'clock start times all the way through Jordan's run. You know, that nine o'clock on the East Coast is six o'clock on the West Coast. Uh, I, I, the, 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 the ratings are there. The kids are watching them. Maybe not like everybody's kid, but I, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. But I do know, like, you know, 630 on a Sunday is, a, is when the Super Bowl starts. And you, and you, and you know that just I automatically. We have NBA in the rundown. Let's revisit this a little bit at the end of the rundown before we get to McCollum. Uh, but let's go right into the topics. Live. Live golf has been a huge issue. Can I uh, stop you for that? Live golf is our number one topic. Who came up with this rundown, Andrew? <laughs> well, we did. <laughs> but when you talked to all those people, you told them it was me. Uh, I think live golf is a huge story. First I off, do too. By the way, I do too. Wise, Arlo White goes from NBC uh, to uh, be the lead voice uh, for Live Golf, respected, very good announcer. Uh, we, I don't know the exact numbers, but he was making hundreds of thousands for NBC. He's making millions now. I do know that, and it's a long-term contract, eight to ten events. He'll still be able to do uh, soccer. He's, he does some games for the Chicago Fire. MLS, if they have a deal with Apple, I do think there could be some movement with broadcasters. Maybe Arlo White's involved in that. Uh, we'll have to see. But that's number one. Obviously, on the course, Mickelson um, and Dustin Johnson joining the tour. Um, it's a very complicated issue. What's your take overall when you look at it from a media perspective? Well, the Chicago Fire came out and they, with a statement saying they were going to keep Arlo White. Look, I'm going to be looking to see if there's going to be any blowback to the Chicago Fire for keeping somebody that operates with Live Golf. Live is toxic right now to a lot of sponsors that are pulling their sponsorships. Uh, to a lot, all of the U.S. media companies are refusing to deal with with Live. I mean, they have no U.S. media deal. You're gonna have to watch uh, the uh, first tournament on on YouTube or, or Facebook. And so, is there gonna be a blowback to somebody like Arlo White? Who is going to be uh, who's going to be announcing for for Live Golf? I mean, is that possibly going to affect them? I mean, I don't think so, but I, I can see a, I can see plenty of scenarios where it's going to come back and bite them. Yes, 
but the thing is, so now we get into, now this is a sports media podcast. So, you know, and you start getting into geopolitical talk, we don't want to go too far outside of like what our specialty is. I do think though, you look at the premier league, Newcastle is uh, owned by the Saudi Arabian same, you know, group. Um, and, NBC still has the Premier League on, right? There's nobody boycotting the Premier League because of that. And this has been a big issue and, and talked about a lot in Europe. Um, you look at the NBA, we talked about earlier, and we can talk about China um, and, you know, what's gone on there um, in terms of there's a relationship there. All the sports leagues, you know, or most a lot of companies do. It's not just the NBA. It's not fair to signal them out. So I guess the point is, and this is a little bit of whataboutism, obviously. Look, I, I think I know where I would stand in terms of the, if I had this, uh, this was in front of me, but until you actually have the that kind of money, it's hard to say you would definitely turn it down in front of you. Uh, but I also can see how someone like Arlo White can be like, well, I don't have anything to do with this. I'm just changing my family's financial position for decades. Um, and this is a chance to do it. Now, I'm not saying I would do it, um, but I could understand where Arlo White's coming from. You know, many of the stories that you're reading, there's good versus evil here. There's a PGA Tour versus Live Golf. Your colleague, Ian O'Connor, I thought had an excellent column. Uh, people should click on it. As like, the PGA Tour is all about money too. It's, you know, the, all, all these players are making money decisions. If, if you listen to a lot of the um, the, the reasons that they give, it's like, oh, it's for me and my family, you know, it's a, it's a, and they try to stay away from the geopolitical, but it keeps, it keeps coming in, in, in this instance. And I, I just don't know how far it's going to go. I'm curious to see what the, uh, attendance is, is going to be like at the, at the first event. I'm curious to see what sort of metrics they have on, on video, uh, for the first event. How many people are going to be watching it? Let's finish off with this, uh, because we're going to move into some TV deals. They're going to be on YouTube. Facebook, any place else? Uh, and and the, I think the Live Golf, Golf website, a couple of okay. different websites. Yeah. Okay. So do you think John Oran looks a year down the road? Do they have a TV deal at some point? I don't see them having a US TV deal anytime in the next several years. Even, okay, but let's just say you have Phil Mickelson going, uh, Dustin Johnson. I saw someone else who's Ricky Fowler, I think that's who it was, um, who they think is going to come pretty soon. You start just getting, you know, you they start seeing these paydays. It becomes a little bit more accepted. People kind of forget. They like the tour, whatever it goes on. They start getting a couple more players. Then do you change your mind and someone says, you know what, let's, we can do it. Uh, it, it depends on if a network is willing to defy the PGA Tour. All the networks, ESPN, CBS, NBC, they're at the beginning of very long-term relationships with the PGA Tour they're not even taking the meetings. Mm. Uh, Fox, when it had the U.S. Open uh, and it, it had Greg Norman on the U.S. Open, like that's not a good relationship. That's, talk about a toxic relationship. When Greg Norman left Fox, you know, they, they do not get along. They are not talking with, uh, with uh, the, the Live Golf Tour. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, they have, um, they, they have deals around the world with the PGA Tour. I, it's going to take a lot for these media companies to uh, to speculate. So it, it, if in three years, four years, it's an established tour with some of the top name players, with several of the top name players, yeah, you know, maybe they'll it'll be less of a risk. But for the foreseeable future, I, I just don't see it happening in the U.S. Do you? I'm not sure. I think though, the more kind of establishes itself, I 
could see somebody, you know, maybe they it's a lesser network, right? We're kind of talking about the big ones, but maybe there's a lesser network out there that says, you know what, let me take a crack at this, right? There's a lot of networks out there. So maybe it's not one of the big ones that we always talk about, right? The ESPNs, the Foxes, the NBC, the CBSs, the Turners. Maybe it's not one of those, but maybe somebody else says, you know what, let's put this on. I think that just the money they're throwing around, they don't seem like they're backing down, right? <laughs> These are long-term commitments. Not, they're, they're not going away. Yeah. yeah like so. I know the Arlo White term is a long-term one. I don't know the number of years, but I know it's a long-term one. Um, so I imagine the players is also long-term. So I don't think they're going anywhere. So I, well, I think let's, they, let's go through, let's go through a couple of those networks. And I guess right. there's being sport, yeah. uh, which, uh, you know, they're not going to grow on being sport. There's a, they could go a streaming route. They could go to zone potentially. I suppose they could go like, oh, to, to Apple TV. Yep. Um, uh, all the other, well, they're not going to get a big fee though. Like they, they, like I would just go YouTube and face, I would go for broad distribution anyways. Like I, like, it's not like Apple or anybody's going to give them a big number. Right. So I think you want broadest distribution. Um, and even like these networks aren't going to give you a, I don't think a big number. You're just starting out. Right. Uh, but um, I just think that there's a chance it could become successful. Uh, I think that uh, it's had a really rough start, but I do think, and will fans, I don't know, like, you're in Portland and there's an event there. Are you going to go and see these guys play? Maybe, you know what I mean? Like, or are you going to say, eh, I can't support this. I, I just, I just think when you drill down a little bit, you can't like support anything. <laughs> it's like almost like when you look at all these companies, not all of them. I mean, there's, there's different levels. So uh, of course, but uh, uh, it, it will, it will definitely be interesting. All right, let's move to our next topic and talk about some deals. You had a story the other day. Uh, we talked about big 10 network last week. Um, some little interesting findings uh, in terms of where things stand exactly with a couple of the dark horses uh, that we mentioned last week for the Big Ten deal. This is a big week for the Big Ten. They're taking uh, meetings with um, most of the, the the big players that that want their um, uh, want their rights. ESPN, CBS, NBC, Amazon has come in with a very big uh, uh, offer. I'm told, though nothing has been formalized yet. Uh, what's interesting, though, this uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, those talks have, uh, they, they just haven't progressed uh, from a couple of uh, weeks ago. Uh, Apple, you know, they were in there uh, big early. They're still talking, uh, but those those talks haven't progressed. So if I'm going to handicap where everybody is right now, Apple and Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, which of course operate Turner and uh, uh, the Turner channels, TBS and TNT, uh, to, to call them dark horses might be a little bit much. I mean, they, they, they are very far behind the pace. NBC, CBS, ESPN, and Amazon, uh, they're, they're, the, they're the most aggressive ones right now. The question is, um, how many packages are they gonna create? Fox already has the biggest package. We don't know what it is yet until they create these other, these other packages. How many other packages will they have? How much money will they get? Uh, and from what I'm told, the Big Ten Conference is going to be the first college conference to earn more than $1 billion per year in media rights. Wow, that's, that's crazy. That makes NIL kind of seem like there should be these guys. The players should be <laughs> a little bit. If we're bringing a billion dollars a year, uh, yeah, that is interesting. I've heard Amazon strongly for a while that they're probably going to get in there. Um, and it makes sense. Again, our old debate, NFL. So, John, this is Amazon. You're like, you don't like their NFL Yankees, soccer, cricket around the world, Big Ten. We'll see if they get the Big Ten. They're going after the Big Ten hard, I'm told. And also, it's interesting to me about Apple is that 
I told you last week, I kind of, again, I'm not saying they're not getting Sunday ticket, right? I'm not reporting that. I'm not saying that, but I have heard some rumblings that maybe they're not that, you know, kind of that favorite that we at one point thought they were, you know, because we both don't really like saying who's the favorite, but I've heard that. And if they don't get big 10, they don't get Sunday ticket and they have baseball, maybe soccer, MLS, um, that doesn't really think like you're really getting into sports if you're Apple, at least at this point. Yeah. I, again, we're talking about the horse race right now and Apple was ahead in the horse race for Sunday ticket. Now it looks like they're a little bit behind Amazon, if not tied with Amazon, but it is a two horse race. I think ESPN, which uh, was in there earlier, they've fallen way back. So unless the money comes way back, which I don't expect it to, it's going to be either Apple or Amazon. No, you know, uh, uh, Discovery Warner Brothers. Uh, I have not heard them as being uh, particularly active yet. Okay. All right, fine. I'll keep them just as a dark horse. I'm not saying it's going to be them. But I'll keep them as a dark horse, even though I really don't know. Okay. So that's good. That's like Chris Russo. He always would do this. Like, I don't know about this, like the NHL. And then, he, and then he'd have like a huge opinion. Yeah, and then I'm going to come up and say, Discovery didn't get it. I told you I didn't know if they'd get it. I just, no, no, I no. Just... But he would do, I don't know. And then you know, I don't really know much about hockey and then give you a huge opinion. It's like you just told us <laughs> two seconds ago. You literally just said a sentence ago. I don't know about this subject. Andrew, you brought up New York Sports Radio. Everybody has to drink. It's a new drinking game of the Mando podcast here. Uh, it's fun to mention it. There's a big story actually this week. John Sterling, voice of the Yankees, is not going to uh, uh, do 25 to 30 games in the second half of the season, uh, which is a big story. He's going to be 84 in July. He's kind of a um, medical marvel. His voice still sounds good, but the travel's a lot. Uh, so he's going to cut down his games, but he'll do the rest of the uh He'll do about three trips uh, and then he'll do the playoff games. But um, that's a big story. So anyways, drink again. All right? <laughs> another one. Get another one. How about they to drink every time we talk to NFL TV free agency? <laughs> or, or if we go back and forth about Amazon and Apple, that'd be great. Exactly. They'd be pretty drunk. All right. You know, we talked about the story I did on the Big Ten. You had a, a, a good story about Amazon and their NFL studio show. What do you got? couple of things. So number one, we mentioned Fitzpatrick at the top. That looks like it's going to happen. He'll be in studio. Uh, other people, they've already announced Tony Gonzalez, uh, Marshawn Lynch, Richard Sherman, also uh, very likely to be involved. Um, and you look at the move. I Like I said, I liked uh, Fitzpatrick. Uh, the other item was in my newsletter on Mondays and paid newsletter, uh, Kay Adams, that does not look like it's going to happen. Uh, between her and, and Amazon, um, you know, I, she was looking at that. There was a thought that that was going to happen. I think the financials were very not close at all, uh, what she was looking for and what they uh, were offering. And so um, I'm not going to say because things reverse, but I mean, I've, I've been told it's not happening, but like things reverse. So I'm not going to fully report that. I don't like reporting something's not going to happen. You just look bad if that happens, but I think that one's on the um, unlikely. Uh, at this point. Uh, so, uh, and then in terms of their, their games, you know, there's been talk about Manning cast, uh, Ryan Glassbeagle, my colleague from the post re reported maybe in June that they talked with Pat McAfee. Um, and I still think McAfee could be involved, but in terms of like a Manning cast type thing, uh, they'll have alternative feeds, but in terms of the big ones, I think they're only going to do three or four uh, during the year, maybe McAfee's involved in one of those. Um, and, or maybe like that he does his show from Thursday night. There's, you know, I think there's some, a couple of machinations that could happen, but, uh, uh, so I think those are some interesting elements of what Amazon's going to do. And the thing is, when you think about it, you pay Al Michael and Herb street, 
a combined over $20 million, you know, probably way over 20 million. Uh, you probably want the focus to be on them. You know what I mean? And you don't know if you necessarily want like a lot of alternative broadcasts. Well, I'm interested just in the fact that they're putting so much effort into a traditional linear TV-esque type of studio show where they're, they're trying to, you know, they, they, they want a pregame show. They obviously want a halftime show and they want a postgame show. When my view of streaming is people don't, it's not like broadcast television where people come in early and, you know, we'll, we'll sit, sit through the last 15 minutes or the last half hour of a pregame show to get to the game. You're going to get in there for the game. You know, that's what you're there to see. So I, I'm just curious to see where this strategy leads and what the, uh, what the uptake, what the viewership is going to be like, you know, for that studio show. Yeah, I think the pregame won't do that well. I do think you could have some magic at halftime. And then I think the postgame is where you uh, maybe could uh, keep some people around if you make it interesting uh, and you go to it right away. Uh, so that's where I think the, the bread's buttered. And I think any of these, even on you know linear television, the, to establish a new pregame show is difficult. I mean, you could try the ESPN strategy and have magic on uh, twice during the year uh, to try to get me. Sorry, <laughs> just, I couldn't. Really, that was just to be. You couldn't. You couldn't resist. Let's go to resist. Announce magic, and he's on twice during the year. So we got. You think up for one game of the finals. Uh, so, uh, but that, it's hard it, to, led to, it led to such a crowded desk. Did you see? They were all yeah, like that, a lot of shoulder to shoulder on the desk there. It was unneeded. I, they should have just let it go. Um, but they did have magic in the announcement. So. The pregame shows, you know, I do think, and then like the halftime show for the NBA finals is like, it's all, you know, we saw this last year because everyone focused on it after the Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor stuff. Uh, but it's like all commercials. Uh, so, but, so I, but I, back to Amazon, look, I think they're trying to do, they're going to be younger. Uh, these guys are all just off the field for the most part. Gonzalez has been off for a while now, but, but the rest of them are just off the field. Um, and so uh, you compare that to what Fox does much older, uh, CBS much older. Uh, so that will be a contrast. ESPN, a little bit more middle-aged, but um, compared to, you know, the older Fox and uh, CBS, we both know the NFL has a heavy hand, right? Our guy, Brian Rolop, listening right now to the pod. He, hey, Brian. In, the, in the NFL, they like things done a certain way. And so like, they're going to, if it gets five viewers, they're still going to have to do this every year, right? If, even if it's not successful, there's an expectation of what you do if you have a big NFL package or any NFL package really. And part of it is doing that um, ancillary programming that leads into your games. Yeah. You know, that's another point though, about everybody expects the Amazon um, uh, production to bring to be younger, to bring in younger viewers, because of course it's a it's it's attract the cord cutters, are the ones that are most attracted to it. I'm not totally convinced that's going to be the case. I'm I'm dying to see what the breakdown is is going to be, because it is like you, you get it through your television, you watch it sort of like very in a very old school way. Uh, I'm I'm just I, I'm not overly convinced that it's going to be discernibly younger than the traditional. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, buy that either. I think you get football fans who want to watch yeah. you have to find. So the thing is about it, it's like the Apple argument. Like I have to find the Apple game, right? Like Friday, the Yankees were on Apple. I had to find Apple. Like I knew it was on, I knew to watch it. So the idea that you're going to stumble across this game doesn't really make sense. You have to find the game. So it doesn't necessarily make you younger, right? Are younger people necessarily on Amazon? I don't think so. You're going to be um, hardcore fans. Uh, that's the one thing that I'm, I'm certain of because you're going to want to know that you're going to have to know that you're going to Amazon 
to see this game. And Amazon, let me say one more thing about Amazon. It is an expensive product, right? Like we're maybe among people who a lot of people, you know, oh, I, yeah, everyone's Amazon, right? That's not the, and they do have big numbers, but that's not necessarily the case. Not everyone just has $139 to make sure they don't have to go to the store and it's free shipping. I mean, like, you know, most people don't really think like that. So that that's an interesting also um, dynamic in this whole situation. Next topic, uh, USFL. I uh, have watched a couple of games that Jason Garrett has called. Uh, I think this is a beauty of the uh, of the USFL is that you you find people that you wouldn't have necessarily expected. You want to talk about Tony Romo? He was basically calling the plays as a, a team was heading down the field. You broke a story uh, uh, this week. He obviously uh, the, got got in front of the NBC executives who gave him a nice little promotion. Well, he hasn't got it yet. So he's in, he, he's a leading candidate. Or oh, no, are we, are we at the two yard line again? Or where are we? I'm not sure exactly what yard line. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen. He is definitely a top candidate um, for the Drew Brees position. Uh, Brees was doing Notre Dame. Uh, and then he was doing uh, the pregame show on uh, Sunday night. I reported earlier that he's not going to do that. Uh, and then Brees had his, um, tweet where he said he did admit it is in limbo in his mind. He mentioned um, a, m- a number of things that he might do, including playing pickleball, I think professionally. Um, and so uh, we'll see wh- wh- what ends up being correct there. I think Jason Garrett has a high floor, maybe a lower ceiling. And what I mean by that, I think you kind of know that Jason Garrett's going to have things to say and be pretty good. Like, the, you know, the question is, does he want to get it back in the coaching? Would that limit what he says? Um, and then analyzing a game, uh, I mean, I, he's very smart and he's also very media savvy. He has a lot of relationships with the media um, behind the scenes. Uh, and so I think that that shows some an interest in it. He's in the New York market as a player, backup, and then Dallas market, um, you know, that cowboy market, like, in, like being in New York in terms of the intensity towards the Cowboys. Um, and so he's very experienced. At the worst, he'll be pretty good, right? Like, do I think he's going to be amazing? I, I tend to doubt that but i think he could be pretty good i think he's been very steady we're not reporting this yeah but you you see the potential of the end of the manning cast coming sooner than not huh? well no 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 come no, on no. come on let's go there I, right now i said we should make no i said john look at this and so now you get behind the scenes i said when we're doing the rundown i said we should mention peyton manning because he there are reports that he met with all, I think it's not down to three, but there are four ownership groups trying to get the Broncos. I mean, that's significant. If Peyton Manning obviously goes and runs the Broncos, this has major media implications. You can't do the Manning cast. Um, can you, you know, you still can own Omaha Productions and you could do some things with them perhaps. But if he were to go run a team, and I'm not saying he is, it doesn't, you know, that's not, the story's not there. It's just something to keep an eye on. You know, it's a little, the side eye looking, you know, to see if, uh, you know, maybe, Peyton Manning, uh, you know, could do that. That that would have major media implications for ESPN and and and, and Peyton Manning. Um, but so I'm not. So but, yes, nobody's reporting that. Nobody's, nobody's reporting that, that at all. But I I will say this, and and you've said this in previous pods. ESPN is so much less dependent on Manning cast this year than it was last year. I mean, last year really helped shore up. A, 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 a booth that, you know, wasn't necessarily ready for prime time. They have Troy Aikman and Joe Buck right now. So it's, it, there's almost less of a need for a Manning cast. Yeah. When I actually, uh, you know, had like the 
Buck Aikman store. I did ask somebody important there if, uh, you know, this has something to do with maybe, if, you know, kind of some paid insurance. Like I was going to give them credit because that made sense. And they said, no. So they didn't get credit because they didn't think of that apparently. But uh, to me, it made some sense that, oh, well, maybe Peyton, he's obviously wanted to maybe have some ownership or run a team. Uh, so I thought maybe, uh, um, you know, that might have been some Peyton insurance, but it could be the case. We'll see. Um, that, that would be interesting, but that, that's not even, that's, we're like that one. We're at our own two yard line. All right. Yeah, we got 98 yeah. yards to go <laughs> we, we, against the 85 bears defense. So. Uh, I don't know about the 85. I would not say that. I, I think you're at your own two yard line. You have Peyton Manning under center. Great quarterback. No matter <laughs> oh, what, no. when you watch like, when you watch like the Manning cast, you think Peyton Manning was like, uh, like the worst quarterback ever. Like how they make fun about his interception. He's like the, one of the greats of all time. We got to act like, so you got Peyton Manning under center. Going yeah, against not, the, the Browns of the late 80s? Is that what we're doing here? Do we need a field goal or a touchdown? Lots of questions here. But is, I mean, it, it I'll something. just say, I'll say you got Peyton Manning and they got a nickel defense. All right. <laughs> he, might, he might, here's up seven yards there. All right. They're, they're out. They're, their behinds are off their, their own goal line. All right. Now they're at the nine or 10 yard line up. We're dinking another one. All right. Now we're at the 37 all of a sudden. I'm just saying something to watch. Oh, yeah, if we're talking about the Mannings, we have to bring up the cover two. So whatever. I like, All right, I cover like two. Oh my, oh my. All right, last thing before we get to uh, CJ McCollum, our big get. Uh, NBA ratings. I had a little rant at the beginning on my who's down with Mike Bass. Um, what do you got? We had Breen. We talked about, uh, you talked about Mark Jones. Uh, what do you make of what's going on? When we're doing this, this is before game three on Wednesday night uh, when we're recording this. Um, so uh, first two games kind of is what we're looking at here. Let me say, I, I do somewhat understand the angst at ESPN and the angst at the NBA over these ratings. You have, on one hand, an established superstar in Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. I'm not sure if Draymond Green's a superstar, but the, you know the, the, this is the core group that have been going back to the finals. You know, many years they had a two-year absence, and and they're back. My, you know. Uh, my mother knows who Steph Curry is. I always use her as, as, as my go-to yeah. if somebody crosses over. Then you have the Celtics. Talk about a brand. I mean, the, 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 the people tune in to watch the Celtics, regardless of who's on the, uh, on the team. You have offensive basketball going up and down the court. Um, you haven't had very good games yet. I, I would have expected that the, uh, the ratings would have been easily as good as they were going into the pandemic and they're not it's i i, I couldn't be more surprised i i said in my newsletter on, on on monday this this is why i don't gamble because that would have been as sure a bet as anything that that the numbers would have been up well you did have two kind of blowouts now i know the first game obviously was an historic comeback but how many people turned it off uh before you got the historic comeback the golden state was at home up by 12 uh and it kind of felt like it was over, right? It was like kind of in the background. And then all of a sudden it's like, what, whoa, let's, you know, let's watch this. So how many people turned off and then game two blow out uh, the other way with Golden State just running away with it. So you haven't gotten good games, uh, you know, so it hasn't been close. Uh, I do think I'll remain bullish that if they go six, seven games that this number won't be that bad. It'll be pretty good. Um, and um, also if I'm the NBA, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Honestly, I think it's going to do great, uh, you yeah, know, in I, terms of the next TV deal. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the NBA is going to be fine out of this. If this goes, as most people expect, six or seven games, ESPN is going to be fine coming out of this. Uh, and, uh, but the, the, the playoffs, 
where uh, the, the numbers coming out of the playoffs were, were, were pretty good. It's been a good season for the NBA uh, and we'll see where this progresses. My last point, Mike Breen, this is really helpful. Mike, like not that he needed it. He's almost done the uh, NBA finals. He's done more than anybody else and he's in the hall of fame. So it's not like he needed more like, uh, but this really helped him like missing these two games. People missed bang. Uh, I would have gone Ruko or Pash as the play by player there. Uh, you mentioned Jones earlier, uh, but it, I think, you know, Breen had COVID really wasn't that sick. Um, I do think there's a feeling from people close to him that he could have done the games. Um, but uh, there's protocols that Disney and the NBA have that kept him sidelined. Andrew, do you feel at all that um, the absence of Breen contributed to, to the poor ratings? And uh, only for this reason, uh, Breen wasn't in the booth. Uh, Van Gundy wasn't in the booth. And so you had Mark Jones and Mark Jackson calling a game where it, it felt to me just kind of like a regular season game in February as I tuned in and I was excited for this game. Do you think that had any effect? You didn't have like that big game voice that we always talk about. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I don't think that really impacted Like I look, we can get into a bigger debate. Maybe when we have a slow week about announcers value, I think over time they have huge value, right? I think if you have the right announcers, it makes it feel better. It makes the game more understandable, especially for people who don't uh, follow it as closely. So yeah, was the quality down without Van Gundy, without brain? Yes. The quality was down. Do I think the ratings were down because of that? I don't think so. Uh, but I will say when that comeback, I mean, I, I hit Mark Jones on Twitter and in my newsletter because in that comeback, he did not raise the level. That was historic. Breen would have been all over that, right? And um, there's certain announcers who do that. Joe Buck does that. Ian Eagle does that. Um, Al Michaels does that. I think Tariko does that to a degree. Um, and so uh, I think those guys raise the level at a play-by-play -play level um, when you're talking about basketball um, and football. Um, and so uh, and some of those on different sports, of course. Um, and so I just, that's what I, you, you missed, but I don't think it had a difference in the ratings. I mean, that's too much. I think that's a lot for most people to kind of think in their head who are just fans of the NBA. You and I are in perfect agreement on this. All right, John, let's move to the big get. And this week, a special one, CJ McCollum, guard for the New Orleans Pelicans, now a new ESPN analyst where he's doing studio work already, making an impact, and he's going to develop a podcast for them as well. He's also still playing, which is somewhat unique. We saw Draymond Green doing that with Turner as well. Uh, he's also a Lehigh graduate, class of 2013. And CJ, I have some Lehigh lineage as well. My dad, Herb Marchand, class of 1966. So I've always, I've been rooting for you a long time because of that Lehigh connection. Was Herb on the basketball team, Andrew? <laughs> you know, we used to win a hundred sometimes, but uh, you, you, you might be looking at me, you might say, ah, that guy looks like he might be a player, but yeah, he was not <laughs> on the uh, hoop team. But CJ, oh, we enjoyed God. watching you when you had some runs there, man. No, I appreciate it, man. I love to hear about Lehigh graduates. I love to hear and see them doing well. And although there's not a lot of us, you know, out there, we seem to travel well. And we seem to be in a lot of different spaces, although there's not a large amount of us. Yeah, he, he's told me sometimes, like, they do, like, the average, like, salaries or how much people make in terms of the uh, each year that graduates. And you uh, you have an impact uh, on that class of 20. <laughs> You're hoping that salary range go up there, CJ. Yeah, boosted me, which is great for the organization, great for the school. They can they can pitch that to the incoming recruits and respective uh, candidates who apply and make us look a little bit better. Yeah, journalism doesn't usually pay so well in journalism degrees. So good job by you. <laughs> 
right. Growing up in Ohio, let's just get get going on here. Growing up in Ohio, what what did you watch as a kid? Like what shows? What 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 broadcasters? What what what, what was yeah. C.J. McCollum's uh, diet in terms of sports media? Growing up, I watched a lot of sports center. I watched a lot of ESPN. You know, watching the highlights and the clips over and over and over again. Uh, Stuart Scott, may he rest in peace, was one of my favorites. You know, being able to see um, how he kind of added that urban flair to the to the calling, to the reads, and just made sports more in trouble, more fun for me. And, you know, I think representation matters. And to see someone like him of his caliber, you know, on that stage, it kind of allowed me to see, like, hey, if I don't if I don't make it in basketball, maybe I can do something in this realm where I'm still around sports, still can talk about sports. So I think that was cool. I watched a lot of PTI, a lot of those shows. Um as a kid and even still check in now, but I think for the most part, man, I just love sports and I love the NFL. So being able to watch, you know, the countdown and uh, see how the games were called and, and see some of the greats that have been able to take part in, in calling games. I think it's just made it more interactive and more fun. Yeah. Cause you grew up near Canton, right? Is that, that's where. Uh... Canton Hall of Fame football. So I've seen a lot yeah. of enshrinements. I've seen a lot of retirement speeches and some of the best football players that ever play come through there. All right. So you go to Lehigh, why Lehigh, why journalism? Didn't have a lot of options, <laughs> full disclosure, but it felt like the right fit, the right opportunity. Education was a priority for me and my family. Uh, we wanted to make sure that, you know, we had something to fall back on. I actually started off in the business school and um, a few weeks into econ and uh, the likes of that, I realized I didn't enjoy the process of preparing for those types of tests. I didn't enjoy sitting in a cubicle and I didn't envision my life, you know, post-basketball as a, as a guy who would work on Wall Street. And I felt like it was important for me to switch to something I was more, um, I was more engaged with, something that was a part of my lifestyle. I knew I would be talking for a living in some form or fashion. I knew the interviews would help me if I was a professional athlete. And I knew on the backside that I wanted to be involved in sports, specifically sports journalism. And I ended up switching to journalism. I majored in journalism. I minored in mass communication and sociology. Took a lot of business courses to start, and I was close to a business minor as well. But I think it was just a, a cool opportunity for me to be a basketball player, but also attend a school where there's a huge emphasis on academia. CJ, you were at Lehigh for four years, so the full four years. If NIL were around or the transfer rules, how do you think that would have affected uh, where, where you played? I'm a pretty loyal person at heart, so I don't necessarily think that the transfer rules would have affected me. I kind of enjoyed the path that I took, and I seen the blueprints before me, Steph Curry's of the world. I seen um, George Hill. Um, Jimmer was in college around the same time, so I was able to see, you know, guys attend small schools, Joe Dumars, McNeese State, and have success at the highest level. So I just knew that if I could continue to work on my game, embrace the situation, embrace what was given to me what was provided to me and then also be thankful that I was somebody's first option as opposed to somebody's second or third option but that was important you know for my vision of how I viewed myself and if I didn't make it you know on my own merit going to Lehigh then it wasn't meant to be and that's kind of how I approached it if I were to transfer hypothetically there's only like two schools that I would even consider transferring to um, like North Carolina I always loved North Carolina I like the colors and obviously Jordan he was my favorite player and <clears throat> I would have considered transferring closer to home but that would have been the only things that would have enticed me to even think about it. In terms of the NIL, I would have made a good amount of money, um, especially down the stretch based on um, alumni, uh, the relationships that I now have with, with hedge fund workers, people that work on Wall Street. I'm sure uh, if there was crypto when I was there, I, I mean, I would have been making a killing in all realms of 
the NIL local car dealership deal. I would have had a car. I would have been, you know, IHOP spokesman probably. You know, we spent a lot of time at local diners and eating pancakes and stuff like that. So, I mean, I would have took full advantage of the NIL and everything that it had to offer. You know, you have such a unique perspective on media now. You grew up, as you said, watching sports centers, watching uh, PTI. You're now in uh, the NBA where your every move is being reported on. What, uh, seemingly anyway, what is your critique of the current state of NBA media? I think NBA media is in peak form, if you will, in terms of the coverage, the amount of attention, the detail that they have now. Um, obviously, access has shifted, but the way that our game is promoted is probably better than it's ever been promoted before, which is helpful for the game, the brand, and gives us that global awareness that we need to continue to boost not only ratings, but boost awareness um, to young kids all across the world. You look at the global impact we have on our sport, the Giannis is of the world, right? The Joker's just won you know, MVP. I'm pretty sure he won it back to back, if I, unless I'm mistaken. All of that is really good for the game. Luka Doncic, right? Really good for the game because now, you know, we're attracting, you know, people from all walks of life, all parts of the world, and it's making our sport better. So I would say the media has had a, a positive impact because they're promoting our game. They're sharing stories for players, from players. And I think that's the cool part about, you know, the worldwide leader in sports is the storytelling aspect, but also how we're able to, you know, relate to all different types of fans, casual and experts. What's your feeling in terms of having reporters back in the locker room? You're the head of the PA. Now you're involved in media. Uh, you're a player, obviously. What's your feeling on that in terms of relationships, in terms of telling the stories, getting to know guys and to be able to tell the stories maybe better? Or, or maybe you find it's a nuisance. What's, what's your take? Yeah, it's tough, tough balance. I think due to COVID and where we're at, it made sense to kind of, you know, try to split us up, if you will, to keep everybody safe, to kind of keep the spread contained. And we were in a state of disarray. Like we didn't know what was happening. We were unsure of the future in sports in general and how it would be played, how it would be covered, how it would be called. You know, we were sitting on the bench with masks on. So there, there was a different stage, different time. I think the relationships are important. The only way to really kind of maintain certain relationships is to have that locker room access. So I think it is important from a journalism standpoint, storytelling standpoint, um, the peer-to-peer -peer interview is just better generally. Like Zoom is great. Like we're thankful for the adjustments we've been able to make with it, but there's nothing like a press conference post game, right? It's nothing like the immediate reactions that you can get live. And then, like you said, a lot of people have been involved in the game for a while. It's been a great part of basketball. I think if there's a, a balance that could be had with it, I think that would be better because then there's a happy medium being met where the players are still happy, but the journalists are still getting the information they need. Have you set up relationships with some of the beat writers? Yeah, I mean, over the course of my career in, in Portland, I had obviously relationships with local beat writers, national, and, and you know, I'm moving over to New Orleans, I'm getting more familiar with the beat writers that cover there, but I just always try to be respectful. I think that's important. Like our time is our time, right? We got a busy life, but everybody has a job to do. So I generally just try to be as respectful as possible. I remember what it was like to try to get quotes after games, you know, covering really high sports and you know, interviewing a coach after a tough loss, interviewing a coach after a tough win. It's all difficult, but at the end of the day, we all got deadlines and my job is to perform at a high level. And, you know, the journalist and beat writer's job is to tell that story. What did you cover? I covered women's uh, field hockey, uh, men's, women's lacrosse, volleyball. I did the Patriot League tennis championship. I did cross country. I did football. Um, I, I did probably everything but men's basketball and swimming. I did women's basketball. Um, I've done uh, stories, feature articles, 
post game, pre game. I did the video behind the camera. I've chopped up film and edited highlights for women's lacrosse. I learned. I had learned about a lot of these sports. I had never played them and didn't grow up around. Like we we had hockey at my high school. We didn't have lacrosse, so I had to learn about a lot of sports. Trying to follow a field hockey, you know, ball in, in a in a storm <laughs> like with the camera like all that is difficult but <clears throat> i went through the works to really get an understanding of all phases of journalism what's harder making the nba or being a journalist let's face it it's a journalist right it's got to be journalist cj come on it's harder to make it to the nba but i think from a work and preparation standpoint <laughs> it's just different like yeah. being a journalist is hard it's not easy the hours the preparation the getting quotes putting stories together deadlines all that stuff is wild, right? Like it's it's hard, but playing basketball is a different type of grind. Like playing a sport is a different type of mental and physical exhaustion. That's not for everyone. Yeah, no, listen, it's the NBA, man. Yeah, I, you know, I know, come on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you being respectful. We appreciate that, man. But any schmo like me and John can do it. So, uh, you know, I mean, a- journalism is a learned sport, right? Like you can learn to do it. You might not love it, but you can learn to do it. Everybody right. can't learn to play at the highest level. Exactly. CJ, you focus a lot on the positive aspects of media, but there's certainly some negative aspects out there where people criticize your play, people, especially now in your role as, with the PA, people criticize you personally. How do you, how do you deal with that criticism? Uh, you can't please everybody. I think that's what it comes down to. You know, I have a strong faith in our Lord and Savior, and outside of him and my family, I don't generally care what people think about me. Like, you're going to like me, you're not going to like me, but it's not going to affect my mentality. It's not going to affect my mood. It's not going to affect how I carry myself. And I think I just try to do things the right way. I try to do my roles to the best of my ability. And my game's not for everybody, right? Like, some people may not like my game, which is fine. Some people don't like tea. Some people prefer to drink water over orange juice or orange juice over apple juice. Like, it doesn't really matter to me. It's a preference type of thing, but it's more about the content of my character. Like, as long as they respect that, like you can be quite frank and have an opinion about my skills or my ability to be president or the decisions that I may make as president or help make us make as a whole, which is completely fine. Like it's a part of being in the spotlight and I embrace that and accept that, but I don't let it affect my mood. If I if I paid attention to what everybody thought about me, my life would be like a roller coaster. Like great days, terrible days. It's just it's part of the process of a human being. When you look at your goals in sports media, what do you uh, what do you want? Like if you say, you know, after you retire five, 10 years down the road, what's what's the goal for you? Uh, I mean, I want to do everything to the best of my ability. I don't think I've set like individual goals. The biggest thing that I said I would do is keep my degree alive. Right. When I got drafted, the, the reason why I picked my agency, the reason why I picked my agent, the reason why I strategically done the things that I have up to this point at 30 was to keep my degree alive, explore journalism, Really, really take a deep dive from iHeartRadio to Series X and Radio to doing local radio talk shows, to doing morning shows, to doing uh, jamming 1075 playlists, Portland's number one station for hip hop and throwbacks, to doing my own podcast, and now working for ESPN. Everything has been strategic to where I've carefully thought it out. I thought about what life would be like as a retired man. I just wanted to make sure that I had all my resources in order and all my experiences in order before I get to that point. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how many kids I'll have. I don't know what city I'll live in. I don't know that part of life yet, but we're getting there. And I think it's important for me to just make those experiences and decide on how I want to live later. But I just kind of live in the present while planning ahead for what may be in store. CJ, in the weeks that you've been at ESPN, what's been the biggest surprise for you? What were, were, what were you not expecting? I think the workload. 
<laughs> right? Like I worked in journalism in college. I've done a hundred and call it 30 episodes of my own podcast. I've solicited guests. I've done countless amounts of interviews. I've done hits for Sports Center. I covered the finals for ESPN in 2016. I've done the gauntlet, but these hours are are different, right? Like, you know, call time might be 8 a.m. You know, <laughs> you might do post game and it's 1230. You might have to wait for it. You might have to redo uh, a spot again. Like people don't understand the amount of work that goes into it. And then the preparation on the side, doing show after show after show, having to have different talking points, takeaways. It's just a lot. You have to be really cut out for this lifestyle. And I'm, I'm glad I get to enjoy it and go through it. But I think I forgot how much work it was. And you haven't started rooting against overtime, have you? Like, <laughs> no, but I used to be able to just turn the TV off, right? When the game got ahead. Now you have to watch it to the end. You have to be able to get points on what happened at the end. And in general, like you turn Netflix on or something or go walk the dog. Like, oh, this game's over. I'll wait for the next game. Now you have to really watch. Yeah, they don't teach you that at journalism school, man. Like you got you got that you learn only by doing. And then you get to the Bristol car wash, man. And you, you know, they, they keep they keep working and working you. And then and then they throw a podcast in here. But we we really appreciate you coming on with us. Uh it sounds like we may be talking to you in the future because uh, I don't think this is just, this sounds like just one stop on a number of stops in the uh, McCollum media rise. Uh, so we appreciate you coming on the Marsh and Orange Sports Media Podcast. Yeah, thank no you very problem. much. Thank you for having me. CJ McCollum, that was a good interview. If he had stayed at Lehigh, he would have made bucks, Andrew. That's what I took out of that one. <laughs> That's what you took out of it. Yeah, he might not have done all that journalism if he was getting paid <laughs> by uh, IHOP and the uh, car dealerships, et cetera. But I was impressed. And I do think it's like in any field, right? Like I always say, people who do what we do, you should be written about at some point because then you're going to realize how much you should put, how much care you should put into getting things correct. Because when you're written about and things are incorrect, you're like, what the heck? Especially why didn't someone call me? You know. And so I always think, I always say that it's really good to get written about, even if it's you know, you don't like it to be inaccurate, but uh, you learn a lesson when you like hear or read something about you inaccurately. So I think for uh, CJ having done having that experience uh, at Lehigh, um, I do think that probably helps him now dealing with the media. And he does seem very savvy in terms of what he's doing. He definitely has a master plan. All right, let's uh, get right into our call of the week. Call of the week. All right, here's a scene. The Phillies are having a miserable season. They fire their manager. They're down in the ninth inning, bottom of the ninth in Philly. Bryson Stott's at the plate, two on. Here's Tom McCarthy on NBC Sports Philly. He's in the booth with John Crook and Mike Schmidt. Runners go. 3-2 is hit in the air to right field. It's out beautifully. It is over! Andrew, the thing I love most about that is not the Phillies winning, because, of course, from D.C., we hate the Phillies. It's Crook just screaming, get out, get out. That's what you want to hear from a local broadcast. That's funny, because I actually don't like that part. He's got to pipe down. He can talk after. Don't ruin McCarthy's call. I'm a a play-by-play purist. Let McCarthy have the call. What I like, and you can't hear it when you're listening to this, but the visual, uh, that's where 
the producer director there, they deserve a lot of credit because there's a little kid that they're showing right before the at bat. Uh, and then they show them, you know, with the home run and they incorporate it into the call. And so it really complemented what McCarthy said uh, and a really good hometown call from Tom McCarthy. Well, that's another week of uh, the Mando uh, Sports Media Podcast. The drunken, uh, the drunken Mando Podcast that John put in all kinds of drinking games. This is why when you do your ratings, hopefully you're, you know, you're feeling a little buzzed here because John had drinking for uh, NFL TV, free agency, anytime I mentioned New York Sports Radio. Uh, I, so I, I didn't say anything nice about Jimmy Bataro, so all my guys are sober, you know? <laughs> That is true. You do love executives. Um, the All right, well, if you could want to give us a rating, uh, that's great, especially if it's a five out of five. Uh, that helps us, apparently. Also, if you want to review uh, the podcast, uh, we appreciate that. And obviously, following and, uh, and listening to the end, we appreciate it. So, see you next week. Thanks for listening.